If you're visiting with us this morning, I would like you to please join us together. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Galatians. Uh, You'll find the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And I'm going to read from chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. And in Pastor Paul's absence, not in the Genesis series this morning, but working through a brief series called Gospel Living. And I hope you know and understand what the gospel is and have an idea in your head of how you, you would answer the question, what is the gospel? Well, could you take that definition of the gospel and preach it to Abraham? Could you go back before the time of Jesus into the time of Abraham, hundreds of years before Jesus ever lived, and proclaim your definition, your understanding of the gospel to Abraham? And that is something that the Apostle Paul describes in Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, all those years before Jesus, saying, In you shall all of the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Lord, please help us to hear your word, to understand your word. Uh, May it uh, go deep into our hearts and lives this morning, I pray. My intention from this text regarding the gospel being preached to Abraham in a series called Gospel Living is to show from this text how it is and why it is that Paul can describe the gospel as something proclaimed to Abraham before Jesus even ever lived and helped how it helps us to understand what it looks like to not only believe the gospel, but also to live the gospel. The gospel is something to be believed, for sure, but in believing it, we also live it. And by living it, we show that we believe it. The gospel is God's dealings with us, isn't it? I hope you know and understand that just as God had dealings with Abraham, uh, it looked forward and it anticipated the same kinds of dealings that God has with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is what the gospel message is. It is God's dealings with us, his gracious and kind dealings with us through the Son of God to deliver us from our sin. That's the gospel. It delivers us from our sin. To adopt us as children of God. That's the gospel. It makes us children of God and to give us an eternal hope uh, with God forever, an eternal rest, hope of an eternal rest. That is the gospel. But what I want you to understand is, is that in that message of the gospel, the gospel is something where God puts himself on display. The gospel is itself God on display. In other words, everything that God would have us know about himself, everything that God would want us to know about himself. It it says in Romans chapter 1 that God made um, his divine attributes so clear in what he made. Well, how much more clear does God make himself known to us in all of those attributes, not only creation, but in his dealings with us through the Son of God? All of his Love and mercy and grace, those things that you would normally attribute to the gospel where God puts on display, but also God's judgment, God's wrath, and God's displeasure with sin 
are put on display for us to see in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever God would have us know about him, God makes the gospel a lens by which we can see those attributes most clearly in the gospel. And so the gospel is not only something that saves us, but it is also something that makes God glorious to us. I hope you can can say that, that you, you don't simply stop by saying, well, the gospel, yes, I understand that. It's something that saves me. And that would be absolutely true. But you can't stop there. Because by saving you in the gospel, God also does something else. He puts himself on display and he makes God glorious to you. In fact, I don't know how you could possibly say that you believe and are saved by the gospel message without also following and saying, and God has made himself glorious to me. I hope you felt that when you ate the bread and drank from the cup this morning, that you felt that there is something about God in offering you his forgiveness of sins through his broken body and his shed blood that makes God glorious too. And so the gospel... It gives us a path. And it, it might not be the path you first expect when you become a Christian. You think, well, yeah, gospel gives me a path. It gives me a path to, to do this and to do that, this and, and be this and be that. First and foremost, the path that the gospel gives us is a path to majesty. And that is where Christianity lives. That is where Christianity thrives. It is when it, the gospel message puts God on display and it brings us into the presence of the divine majesty. And if there are seasons in our life and if there are seasons in the church where there is great distance between us and majesty, we will struggle. And not only, if, if you ever passed, uh, when you drive by Mount Robson in uh, northern BC, right? Going to claim that mountain for BC on the way to Alberta. <laughs> uh, if you're headed west towards the coast, sometimes you get a glimpse of it. It's a mountain that often hides itself in clouds and is, isn't often visible. But when you can see it, it is majesty. But when you get 30, 40 kilometers away from it, it's just this little thing in the rearview mirror. There's distance between you and its majesty. And that's the way that the church can't live its life. It's the way that the individual Christian can't live their life, is distance between us and majesty. And so, as that path to majesty, the gospel, is not only God's message to us to be believed, it is also God's method with us to be lived. It is how the Christian life works. God's method with us, God's way that he helps us to take what we believe, to take the message, is to introduce us and put us in the presence of majesty. Majesty is God's method with us. And God's method with us is to put himself on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the main point that I'd like to get across this morning. That gospel living, and I hope you're convinced that there is such a thing, that gospel living is living every aspect of our life, every, every compartment of our life, every room, every corner of our life. It lived with God put clearly on display to us by the gospel. There's no part of our life that is blind to or closed to the display of God that he gives to us in the gospel. 
So when I say gospel living, what first may come to your mind is I know what gospel living is. It means that people can see the gospel through me. It means that by living my life, people will learn the gospel by watching me. And that is, I hope, absolutely true. But there is something that precedes that. That gospel living is God first and foremost putting himself on display for us to see. Gospel living is that we are seeing God. Because in the gospel, God puts himself on display. That is why Peter can say in, in his epistle, in 2 Peter, speak of this method of God's with us. His method is to put himself on display. His divine power and attributes, or his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything. You want to live life? Want to live life with godliness? Peter says that it's all here, and here's one of the most important prepositions in the Bible. Through the knowledge of him. Everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him. Who called us to his own glory and excellence. There's the presence of majesty. See, the, the gospel saves us. It saves us gloriously. It saves us wondrously. But it puts us on that path into his glory and excellence. And Peter says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Those are remarkable words. It's not that we take on the divine nature and cease to be human and start to become God, but rather our knowledge of God is, is so, through the gospel, God has put on display to us in such a way that our thoughts are mingled with the very divine nature of God. And that is how the gospel is lived. That is God's method with us. And that brings me to the book of Galatians 3, verse 8, and to Abraham. Paul says that the gospel was preached to Abraham hundreds of years before Jesus. And the reason that Paul can say that is because God was doing the same thing that he anticipated would be done in Jesus. The gospel could be proclaimed to Abraham because to Abraham, God was putting himself on display for Abraham to see. And he showed to Abraham his loving kindness to show mercy and to justify sinners without works by faith alone. In this letter to Galatia, the Apostle Paul is laboring from the beginning that the church get the gospel right. He says, who has bewitched you? You, you? you believed the gospel. You, you understood the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you believed it and you, you entered into salvation through the gospel. But you've set aside the gospel and you've believed another gospel. And you think, well, well, who cares? If you continue to get it right. If you got it right at the beginning and you're in. If the gospel is just a message, all it does is bring you into the kingdom of God. Who cares if you continue to get it right? You're in. But the gospel is more than just the message that saves us. It is the method that transforms us. And to get the gospel wrong is to get God wrong. And to get God wrong means we're living, I don't know where, but we're living somewhere else other than in the presence of majesty. 
The gospel is God on display. And to get the gospel wrong is to get God wrong. The Galatian church had this backwards idea, this backwards thinking, that somehow works produces grace. I've had that idea in my life, in my head, for, for so many years of my own life. The idea that works somehow produce grace, that, that the kindness from God could somehow be understood to be secured by God discovering something within me, by finding something that, that within me that, that God saw that was, was worthy of what then God gives me. And it is wrong. It is exactly the opposite of the true gospel. God, works never produce grace. Let me say it again. Works, not sometimes, works never produce grace. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. Grace always produces works. Let me say it again. Grace always produces works. And so in a stroke of rabbinic genius, Paul takes the church of Galatia that is struggling with his backwards thinking, where they have no mechanism to understand. How is it that I can understand that I have received from God the salvation? What, what, what is it? And it was all through law for them. And so in a stroke of rabbinic genius, Paul takes the church to Abraham. And Abraham lived, and the gospel was preached to Abraham before the law was ever given, before Moses to Abraham, God put on display what would be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, his gracious and his unmerited kindness for Abraham to believe him, that he would justify the Gentiles according to his promise, not by their works, but by his goodness. The gospel is God on display. And what God puts on display for us to see and believe in the preaching of the gospel to Abraham is his kindness, is his loving kindness that cannot be explained by anything that is discovered in us, just as it was not discovered in Abraham, but given as a promise, given as a gift. And so that's why the Apostle Paul uh, to Titus can describe the gospel in these words. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. That's the gospel. It's not only a message to believe, but it, it, it's, it's a life to be lived. The goodness and kindness of God appeared. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, words that may be familiar to you, chapter 2, verse 7. Speaking of being saved, he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Gospel living is with God on display to us. And in particular, gospel living is with God's kindness on display to us. Gospel living is living every aspect of our life with something that we just can't get out of our head. Ever have something like that that you, that it's, 
It's, it's, it's in your head and you, you just can't get rid of it. It follows you all the time and your thinking is something that you can never seem to get completely away from without coming back to it and thinking it again. Gospel living is like that. There's something that we, we just can't get out of our head. There's something that we constantly stand in the light of. There's something that has the power of God to it. It has the power of God for us to reconsider the first impulses of our thoughts, the first impulses of our words, the first impulses of our attitudes, which in my own case are often things to be deeply repented of. And that something is this, that God has been unimaginably kind to me, for which I find nothing in myself deserving of it. That gospel which proclaims to us a justification, a cleanness before God, a fellowship with God without works, attributed purely to the kindness of God, is the gospel of God by which he puts himself on display for us in such a way that it's unavoidable. Unavoidable in our every thought and our every word, every place we turn in our head, every place we, 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 we speak, it's, it's unavoidable. It, it's always there as a, a great light that we stand in the shadow of. Those of you that have been reading the 1055 program, reading the story of, of Balaam and his donkey, and his donkey couldn't get through. The, the kindness of God is like that in the thoughts and the attitudes and the words of a Christian. There's, there's something like that angel standing before the donkey that we just can't, we, we, we can't avoid it. it. It's standing there and we can't go around it. We go, we go this way and it's standing there and we're reminded again and again and again of the kindness of God saying, you can't go around me. You can't live your right life. You can't use words. You can't think thoughts in any other way than the way that God has treated you in the person of Jesus Christ. That's gospel living. I'm using the words gospel living very intentionally instead of the words Christian living. You may wonder why. Well, of course, gospel living is simply Christian living. <laughs> there's, there's nothing different between the two, but the word Christian living uh, has often been made to be so wide and often understood purely in moral terms of enforcing behavior in a particular way of which our worship reinforces. And Christian living sometimes, or what we call Christian living or what passes for Christian living, sometimes doesn't have any gospel at all in it. A gospel living are words that are intended to hold us accountable. That our Christian living is nothing less than gospel living. That Christian living is lived by God putting himself on display, particularly his kindness to us in Jesus Christ, to save us without our works in order to belong to God. And so we can put the word gospel before anything to do with living. We can use the word gospel to modify every part of our life, just like you can Christian. You've heard of Christian marriage. You've heard of Christian parenting. You've heard of Christian fellowship. 
Well, the word gospel is intended to help us to understand particularly what we mean by those things. And what we mean by Christian marriage is a gospel marriage. In other words, this isn't simply two people who, who don't be unfaithful to one another and live together their entire life and say, well, this is a Christian marriage. A gospel marriage is a marriage where two people that are so deeply flawed and so marred in their own character sometimes, yet they can continue to live safely in the presence of one another and in a sustained intimacy with one another because they don't have to pretend to be something other than they are. And where do they learn that? They learn it in the gospel. They learn it from gospel kindness. And so a gospel marriage is a marriage where in that flawedness, and we discover that we, we give each other lots of material to work with <laughs> as we live together, uh, and we know everything about one another. And there are things that come to our tongue. There are those first impulses that I talked about. Well, they're funny. They're witty. They're humorous. But they're, they're at the expense of the one that we love, and it's not kind. And so a gospel marriage is full of gospel repentance. Would you please forgive me? Those words were not kind. And the Lord has been kind to me. And I can't avoid that. I can't get around that right now in my own relationship with you. A Christian parenting must also be gospel parenting. It means first and foremost that it, that it witnesses that gospel marriage. But Christian parenting is more than just teaching kids rules and what they, what they have to do, what they can do, what they can't do. That, that's part of it, the moral training. But a gospel parenting is so much more. Children learn very young of age of who are not liked in the home, who might even be enemies of the home. That aunt, that sister of my mother, she's crazy. And my Mother really struggles in my relationship with her. Those neighbors across the street, they're angry. They could easily be considered our enemies. But the talk I hear around the dinner table isn't the talk that people usually use to talk about their enemies. It's because it's found a path into the presence of majesty. And there's something that's unavoidable in the home all the time. There's an impulses that are denied to us because we live in the shadow of a majesty that we are reminded constantly, I have been shown kindness. Christian fellowship must also be gospel fellowship. It's not enough just to hang around with each other and, and be nice to each other in, in a general way. There are seasons of life that we've gone through in the last two years. Some of you have lost dear and close friends in the last two years because of a world that is deeply fractured and divided. And so the question for the church is, do we know what gospel fellowship is? Do we know the tenderheartedness of kindness? 
Do we know how to humble ourselves before one another to take all the, the material that we give each other that's so good for gossip, that's so good for news, that this is actually true about other people? And yet, it doesn't honor them as a brother and sister in Christ. This is what makes the church the church. This is what makes the people of God light in a world where his light is, first of all, shining into our own lives. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading from the, the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 familiar words to you, but the gospel isn't complicated, is it? It's quite simple, and in its simplicity, it needs resetting all the time. Not a complication where we're trying to figure out, but a simplicity that we're resetting all the time. And so, these are familiar words to us, but so helpful. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. Would you please pray with me? God Almighty, would you please help us as your people in all of our weakness and all of our frailty, Lord, thank you that that same gospel that was proclaimed to Abraham, where God says, I will be kind to you. I will show mercy upon you. I will justify the Gentiles by, by faith without sight of their own works. Lord, would you please forgive us for all of the ways in which we receive this message and then somehow fail to live in the light of it. I pray that you would distinguish us, distinguish us from the world in our understanding of kindness, that we would understand kindness thoroughly by the cross and all that you would have us understand about your glory and your majesty. Please help us as your people. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.